Any questions? Okay, let's look at how we eat. How we eat. Now, as mentioned earlier, cells vary in their ability to eat. Some repel very well, some don't, and some don't. Uh, but the capacity of the body to heal is amazing, okay? Healing is amazing. I come across that all the time. Uh, you can find that we can almost complete a healing. Now you'll probably find that the scars on your shins from playing as a little child will disappear to an extent, but not completely. So there's always some sort of scarring. But it is possible in the, if you look back, if there is damage, or for example, let's assume, let's assume, let's just argue that in the in the un, unborn baby, the mother gets an injury to a pregnant uterus by, say, with the seatbelt she was using, and there was a sudden striking knock, and the fetus is also injured. That is dangerous, actually. It can be dangerous when that happens. But let's assume the fetus has a wound on the right forearm. Do you think that fetus will show such a wound if the fetus is very young? The possibility is that the fetus will probably completely restore. Because at that stage, the younger that you are, the better your repairing ability is. The older you are, the poorer it is. Naturally, so that the fetus will be a better healer than the young child. The young child better than the older child. The older child better than the adult. Uh, and young adult better than the much older person. But remember the principle, are they ever fully restored? So then we go to the process, then how does it repair? It repairs by forming a scar. Now, we call scar tissue in the early stage granulation tissue because it's a metabolically active tissue that forms a glue. Let's look at this injury here, right? Let's look at that injury here. You can see it's a fresh injury. It's a chair, a raggedy chair, what we call a laceration. And let's look at that. It's bleeding. That's what it looks like, okay? That's what it looks like. It's a disruption to the continuity of the skin. And there's blood and blood cells, red blood cells and white blood cells and debris and all sorts of material is filling this. So that now is the initial stage and that forms the glue. Let's assume, and this is, we'll, I might mention it later, let's assume you're able to bring the edges together. Okay? And that's what, when you have a cut, you have a cut in the hand. Then go to the doctor and they stitch it together. And that is to heal by its best intention. In other words, bring the edges together as much as possible. It lessens the possibility of scarring. If the edges are separated, 
the tissue. Where you've got cut, the edges are separated, it'll heal, but there will be a bigger scar. Okay, bigger scar. So that blood that forms in that wound will form the glue. Okay? To stop the healing. If you bring the edges together, you have very much less glue, and in fact you will heal much better. But let's look at the healing that repairs now. You can see the blood vessels now grow into that. Okay? It's by growth factor. Grow into that, and that becomes what we call the skull. And you know, you can sometimes tick off the edge of the skull and you can re-injure it, and then when it completely heals, but it never completely heals. If you look at that, let's look. This is a, the front of the neck of a woman, okay? And women have thyroid problems because when I spoke about hypertrophy, when you are pregnant, the thyroid tends to swell up, okay? Swell up. And sometimes it doesn't completely resolve, and women do get thyroid problems, but you will see that she has had a, you can see a linear scar. Can you see it? But that linear scar is so faint, you think, ah, oh, that's just a fold of the skin. That's because the surgeons have been good enough. When they operated, operated the thyroid, took out those, the big lumps of the thyroid, then they stitched her back, and they stitched her so neatly, you can hardly see a scar. But this is the scar. A fully healed scar, that's fully healed. Almost completely restored, you can say it's almost absent, but this one leaves a scar. Can you see the stitching scar? Okay, that leaves a visible scar. Okay, because this one was not given that excellent opportunity and care to heal. Okay, so there's always scar tissue. Now, when you get scar tissue, that's the scar, when you get scar tissue, it It'll remain as a scar for many, many years. In fact, almost your entire life, because it never, never fully returns to normal, as I mentioned. But the scar tissue is stronger than this tissue. So that is a little bit, you feel the scar, it's a bit tough, a bit tough. So that is, you know, strengthening the area that was pre previously uh, injured. Now that scar problem, I mean, it's, so good when we scar and we heal, okay, it's hard fibrous tissue, can cause problems, okay? Can cause problems. We'll talk about that. If a tube, for example, like a portion of the intestine, is healed either after a, let's assume, a, a wound, like a stab wound of the abdomen, you stitch them up, or if there's an ulcer that heals, and it narrows the tube, I'm hoping I've got another picture just now to show you, it can cause obstruction to the bowel, okay? Obstruction to the bowel lumen. Or it can cause disfiguring. Now look at this person who's been burnt. Not only has been burnt because scar tissue, as it, as it forms, it contracts and gets stiff, okay? So you can imagine this person who's been burned, not only there is a visible scar, you can see the abdominal, that will remain for his life, it can contract down and you can't, you can't straighten that. That's what we call contractions. So these are the harmful effects or the less, less nice effects of healing. Healing is still good, it's fully healed,
but it disfigures or it can cause contractures or difficulty in mobility, okay? Perhaps another good example for you especially would be you know, internal organs that are elastic, now like your lungs. And if you very good. Start, so perhaps you could... Yes, very good. Uh, good. Good example. So if your lungs are repetitively infected, let's assume you, because of some lowered immunity, you keep on getting pneumonias all the time, of chronic bronchitis, like tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. It scars the lungs, or too heavy smoking, it scars the lung. Or those people that work in mines and they, mean they inhale the dust, the mines of many it scars the lungs. And the lungs now, whilst it should be a nice sponge that exhales in it, it's now, it's rigid, it's rigid, and you'll find as soon as as soon as the person walks 20 paces, they are breathless because your health of the lungs is dependent upon its ability to be elastic. If it's stiff, you're not going to get enough gas exchange in and out. You need to get the gas going in and out. Okay? In to get fresh air, oxygen out to push out the carbon dioxide and the exhale air. So you'll find that people will get breathless with chronic lung disease. And that's a good, good example of this as well. Where the stricture, the scarring is damaging too. Okay. And you'll see that on your chest x-rays. You will see that on the chest x-rays. And just um, to go over, if you've got a scar, you know the plastic surgeons, how they remove the scars? Yes. They basically remove, they actually remove the scar, thickened skin. Yes. Okay, like and, that. And they reconnect it, but. And then there's new growth, but they connect it, you know, well, like you see that operation there. Yeah. So that's how plastic surgeons work, basically. Yeah. They just remove that portion. The of scar. It. So, you know, skin that you can see and so on on your face and so on, that's exactly what they do. But the skin is a good example, but you can see some serious examples. Uh, you, there is, for example, in some cases, this is where scar is, scarring goes, goes too much, where you get a scar and it forms an excessive growth we call a callus or a kilo. Sometimes it can be so excessive to be very much like this. And especially in the dark races, you'll find that scarring can be overactive, giving you an excess, abnormal excess of the scar tissue or granulation. That's what I mentioned earlier when first intention, when you bring, you got to cut, you bring the edges together, you heal by first intention, or if you don't bring it together, it's called second intention. And of course, there's a thicker amount of that glue, and it heals by a greater amount of scar tissue. I, I mentioned uh, inside, let's assume there is inside the stomach, uh, there is, um, this is actually pyloric stenosis, this actually happens to children who are born with this thickening here, and the stomach can't empty into the duodenum, 
and it's and it's very enlarged. And you can see how large it is in the X-ray. It's a distended stomach. It can become, and the child has vomiting very very soon after birth. It's called congenital pyloric stenosis. But I use using this picture to show you that the similar thing occurs if you get an ulcer, a sore on the inside of the stomach, and it's large enough and with chronic states. In other words, a long-standing ulcer, more scar tissue will grow and it can cause what we call a stricture, giving you a very similar, similar picture of gastric outlet. We call it gastric outlet obstruction. Okay? The stomach fails to empty adequately, constant complaint of uh, food you're taking in and you need to vomit, vomit it out. So that can cause stuff. But you can imagine that even in one of the loops of the intestine, the same thing can occur. It'll be intestinal scarring, intestinal stenosis, and giving you also intestinal obstruction. Can be a medical emergency, very serious matter. It has to be treated or it's life threatening. <coughs> Healing by bone of bone, and you will come across this many, many times. Bone heals. Let's look at this picture here. Bone heals, and it's, it's fractured, you'll find, and of course you can see the periosteum is distended, and it's swollen by this blood clot, and bone heals in a similar way. The, 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 the hematoma, the blood clot, organizes into granulation tissue, glue, and then at the initial stage, that glue is soft, right? That's why you've got to immobilize the limb for six to 12 weeks, depending on which bone it is. So immobilize it in a plaster cast, okay? And allow, so that it doesn't move, that the glue is allowed to hold. And eventually, eventually, it matures that early bone is called callus, early bone, okay? Uh, and it matures into good bone, and eventually, many, many years later, many years later, it takes sometimes a lifetime to mature into original bone. In fact, you'll probably find that there's still, remember I said, never complete restoration, there's still something that you would be able to see on radiography. Now this is, this is a picture of a child a fracture, a very small child, and you can see a quick, quick healing in a child. Uh, this is, looks like to be the humerus, mid-shaft fracture, and day one, day four, you can see the callus, uh, a mature callus, uh, day seven, and two weeks, there's some good, uh, well, not completely good, but there is some, oh, sorry, there, there it is, there is some uh, probably early good bone, and then at six months, the remodeling is very much quicker in children. In other words, remodeling, you know, you, they know all about modeling, but remodeling the bone. Within six months, you can hardly see it, but the radiologist will say there's something there. Okay? But of course, if, if he was 60 years old, it would be, he won't be. Healing so okay? Healed solid. Always the scar, like on the skin, 
it's stronger than the, the skin itself. It has to be, okay? The bone callus that is mature is healed solid. It's stronger than if you, if you subject that to try and break that, it won't break there, it'll break in another position. Okay? It's a little stronger. Sometimes healing may be bone is good. You'll probably see this all the time. Healing may be dysfunctional healing or bad healing, like malrotation, okay, or malalignment. Look at this malalignment, which I don't know which is which one is. This is a bit of malalignment because you can see it's it's angle. You can see the angle. It's maybe a bit of malalignment, uh, malrotation here, okay, and here. Here is non-union. That's another problem. Non-union, uh, where it actually fails to completely see. This is this looks like the ankle, right? Or the tibia and the fibula. Tibia, fibula. But that's always a problem. Non-union. There are other complications such as septus, septus osteomyelitis can can be serious, especially if there is open. With this fracture, there is a cut of the skin and infection gets in from the outside. Remember, your skin always outside has bacteria, all the time. It has good bacteria and bad bacteria. Same as the intestine, always good bacteria and bad bacteria. Okay, And of course, an infection that can get in through a cut in the skin can cause deep Osteomyelitis, deep wound sepsis or bone sepsis very, can be very difficult to treat if it's in the bone, okay? can be serious. There's also metastatic tumor, tumor that met metastasizes. Let's assume there's a tumor in the prostate gland of a male, of an elderly male. It gets into the blood vessel and it goes to the bone. There can be a tumor in the bone that's what we call a secondary tumor or a metastasis or a metastatic tumor. Remember those words, metastasis. We're going to come to that in the next lecture. And there can also be problems causing pathological fractures. And sometimes it's often a problem between differentiating between a true traumatic fracture and a fracture that's pathological because of the tumor that weakened the bone. Okay? Healing and repair of damaged tissues can even involve every organ in the body. Where I mentioned liver and kidneys, excellent regenerative capacity, muscle and nerve, limited, sometimes none. Neurons, almost none. I use the word almost, not every human We look at factors that impair healing very quickly. What are the factors that impair healing? That's looking at principles. First thing is age. And I mentioned earlier, the younger you are, the healthier your blood supply is. And your greater number of regenerative stem cells that you have. Therefore, the younger that you are, the, healthy, the faster that you heal. When you're older, there's reduced capacity for repair, and so the slower repair. 
but they can also be, with age, coexistent disease, particularly circulation. Circulation, because that's bringing the blood, which carries the nutrients to the area that needs to heal. If there's a reduction in blood supply in that area, like in any cause of poor circulation, lots of cholesterol flux, what we call atheroma, that's obstructing the vessels, or in diabetes, particularly in diabetes, just two, two good examples, where it also causes poor circulation because it facilitates atheroma, atheroma, rapid, extra rapid cholesterol accumulation, and you, it all comes with the age, okay? What about nutritional disorders? Have you ever heard of scurvy, for example? Scurvy? You've heard of scurvy? What do you know of scurvy? See, vitamin? Vitamin C. Vitamin C is vitally important for healing. Now, we mustn't assume that because we're living in this 21st century and there's no scurvy around because hey, there's enough vitamin C in our diet, I have seen patients with reduced amount of vitamin C deficiency. No, we now scurvy was something in the 1700s and 1800s, or maybe 16, 17, and 1800s, when sailors took six months to sail from Europe around uh, not much more than six months, sometimes two or three years to sail to reach the Far East. Eh? Because, of course, those sailing ships will be buffeted around the, They can't move. They're at the mercy of the winds, isn't it? The sailing ships. They took years to reach the, the South Sea Islands, for example, where they wanted to trade for spice. Yeah, the spice. And in those years of sailing, their lack of fresh fruit and vegetables, freshly grown things, which they'd only replenish in their ship if they happened to come across an island or another, they're able to dock at a, at, a, at a port. There were no ports, but just continents and islands then, where they could get fresh products and they lacked vitamin C. Because of that lack of vitamin C, they developed scurvy, which caused them to bleed from the gums right? and from the wounds and the healing was delayed. And they have problems with the, with, 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 with the bone. You can see the changes of scurvy in the bone. So protein and collagen synthesis, that is protein and collagen, which is the repair material for growth, the healing, is dependent on vitamin C. That's one example. But there's also many other examples of protein malnutrition. We've spoken about, I think I might have mentioned last lecture, there's two terms called quashioko and marasmus. It's types of nutrition, of malnutrition that affects babies. No, no, not necessarily here in this country, though you never know, there could be some relative malnutrition of a 
and some indigent people, but in some parts of the world, there is close malnutrition, okay? I think even in Yemen, okay? Near the Gulf of Yemen. I mean, even in that place that is so close to countries like Dubai, okay? United, United Arab Emirates, those wealthy, wealthy countries, you've got poverty, malnutrition. When you have malnutrition, you have a depressed immunity as well. First of all, malnutrition impairs wound healing. Wound healing is delayed. And if you've got impaired immunity, you're going to get any infection easily. So it's all linked up together. As I said, age, nutritional disorders, malnutrition, etc. Neoplastic disorders. One of the hallmarks of the manifestations of malignant cancers is what we call weight loss, severe weight loss. And with it goes poor nutrition. It's what we call catabolism. Cat, cat, a cat, catabolic stage of catabolism. Okay, it means wasting away. Okay, getting shrunken. And the reason for that is that the tumor, if there's a tumor that size, which is one five percent of my body, tumor this size of my body, will consume. 75% of my energy resources and my nutrition. Do you see? The tumor is hyperactive. So you get a profound weight loss and poor nutrition. And of course, when you have cancer, you've got all constitutional symptoms. You've got no appetite. So how are you going to eat other gastrointestinal symptoms as well? Vomiting, diarrhea, weight loss, lose electrolytes, lose nutrition. And of course, you have impulse with eating with new plastic disorders in any types of cancer or advanced cancer. Then, of course, then you've got you've got therapy by immunosuppressive drugs. Those that are treating cancer, like cytotoxic drugs, steroid therapy, sometimes for chronic asthma. Chronic asthma patients get steroid therapy chronic skin diseases, all of those can also reduce your state of immunosuppression or if you've got a condition like HIV, okay? So look at it, so you've got previous slide, poor nutrition, like in, in poverty, and you've got an immunosuppressive state. It all adds together to impair healing, to immune the immune suppression will cause you to get just about any infection. Diabetes mellitus, now particularly, I keep speaking about diabetes because it's got a, it's, it's a problem condition. It affects the small vessels, the tiny little vessels, and they become occluded, okay? Diabetes become occluded and of course cause what we say ischemia, which is a lack of blood supply. Diabetes also also affects the white blood cells, what we call neutral function, in the immune response. But any other vascular disturbance, such as uh, excessive cholesterol deposits and causing atheroma in the vessels with age, things like denervation, particularly 
innovation, for example, if you cannot feel on a portion of a limb, let's assume I cannot feel on my right heel because my the nerve to the right heel was damaged in, a, in an accident. I will have the tendency, I will have the tendency because of lack of sensation to repeatedly traumatize it. And in fact, you know when you get an area of numbness, you keep feeling it. If you get a numb jaw because you've had a dental procedure, you keep rubbing it because it feels funny. Yeah? Okay? So that keep re repetitive re-injury can cause a delayed healing. So the nerve response, when you get feeling, get responses back. It's very important to facilitate healing. And that's why, in fact, when you have pain, pain is important because it facilitates healing. Pain means that you will limit and nurse an area that's painful. You won't re traumatize it. Okay? Pain is important to facilitate that healing process. So you limit it, you take care of it, you limit its mobility, and you allow it to heal. The example of um, the, the situation in India, where the um, you know the fingertips and so on are damaged. One that um, still come to me where Mother Teresa started a war. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Have you heard of the condition called leprosy? No. Yeah. Okay. So you heard? Yeah, I know you heard it in because uh, the Lord healed lepers right? in the Bible. But you can't get leprosy today. It's not as frequent. You can get leprosy. The le leprosy is very similar to TB, by the way. It's a very related bacterium to TB. But leprosy, what it does, it affects the nerves. It affects the nerves to the limbs or to the periphery, sometimes to the nose, sometimes to the lips, sometimes to the eyebrow. And because of continuous, now it's numb, okay? When something is numb, you're going to constantly traumatize it. And actually the digits will fall off. You see? The leprosy, in leprosy, the tips of the fingers, the tips of the nose, the tips of the ears will fall off because of loss of sensation. Continuous re-traumatization. You would have heard of, you know, you heard of Mother, Mother Teresa? You've heard of her? Yes. Okay. She went to India because there were so many um, people suffering from leprosy there and what happened was society pushed them away but you know you'd see them without basically fingers or damaged fingers and she started a movement where she was protecting these people okay so it's it you do find leprosy around thank you <clears throat> any questions sure so we now we've done We've discussed healing, body's response to injury. Now, the next thing we can look at is inflammation. What is inflammation? Anyone knows what is inflammation? 
Redness, heat, pain, sweat. Well, it's it's a beginning. Now we're looking. We've spoke about healing, but to start healing, you must have inflammation. Inflammation is the body's response to it. Let's just say injury or infection. Mainly injury or infection. Can you quite what? A redness, pain, swelling. Heat, lots of. It's like you've got an injury, and it's red, swollen, and painful, and um, and yeah, red, swollen, hot, and painful. Okay, and there's the fourth one, loss of function. We add the fifth one. So it's rubo, we call it rubo calo turbo dollar. I think we've all heard of that. Did you hear of that? Rubo calo. Not in physiology. Remember that. Rubo redness. Um, uh, No, rubo is the red blood cells, actually. So, and a loss of function. Okay, just remember this rubo, red. Just imagine you've got a. All of us have like an infection or an injury, it's red. Callow, hot. Rubo means red. Callow, hot, warm, caloric. Calories, I'm energy. It's hot. Turbo. Swollen, dull, is pain. Okay, rubo dull, and then we added loss of function. The cardinal signs of inflammation is the acute inflammation. It's acute inflammation. You must know that. Yeah. You must know. You just must imagine. Know you've got cuts, and you get all the signs. You just just get it. Red, it's hot, you feel it, hot, swollen, and it's painful. And then, of course, because of that, you can't really use it, so you can, it's, it's loss of function. Now, again, we're going to talk about, so we're talking about the inflammatory response, and because that's, it's vital, vital to heal. You must, if you don't have an inflammatory response, you're not going to heal. That's trouble. We talk again of acute and chronic. Remember we spoke about acute and chronic illnesses? Acute, quick, short-acting, quick response, like a cold or flu. Chronic runs for years, sometimes a whole life. Weeks and months and years, sometimes a whole life. Okay? Chronic. We also talk about acute and chronic inflammation as well. Because in fact, acute inflammation usually relates to acute infections and acute illnesses, while chronic inflammation relates more often to chronic infections and chronic conditions. The principle, when we look at cause, 
The principle, oh, here's a nice show of red finger, can you remember? All of us have had some injury and an infection to the fingertip. Very painful, isn't it? Very painful. And this is what happens. Let's assume this is a piece of wood, a twig, puncturing the skin. Can you see? It's puncturing the skin. And then, of course, and you see it's this blood, these blood vessels here. So that's what happens is the cells, which is white blood cells and red blood cells, you can see the red blood cells got in first, and it's a red, so it gives you the rubo, red, redness. And because the vessel, that's the same area there, by the way, not, not continuous. What happens from there, now happens here, uh, it follows here, and fluid comes out. It's called exudation. Fluid, because there's, puncture, there's a puncture, and also the, the, this, an inflammatory response opens the pores. It opens the pores of the blood vessel. The fluid actually comes up and causes the area to swell. And you see it's swollen. So it's red and swollen. And then, of course, it, because it's red and swollen, you will get a high amount of activity, metabolic activity, okay? as well as what we call pyrogens, yeah? Pyrogens. There are lots of things are released in the inflammatory response. You know the word pyro, pyrotechnics. When people are playing with fireworks, pyrotechnic uh, technician is a person that sets up firework displays. So pyro is fire. Is hot. Pyrogens are substances released here and that create a warm area. And the reason for the warmth, warmth facilitates the healing. Okay? Special warmth facilitates the healing. And finally, of course, pain. Pain. Because there are sensitive pain nerve endings in this area. And as I've just mentioned, pain's important. Because you don't have pain, you're not going to take it. You'll just ignore it, okay? Painful. All right. The other things that besides uh, uh, you know, physical agents, I'm using that as a physical agent to show you something that punctures the skin, but also any other cause, as we mentioned, any other cause of injury, etc. Chemical mediators. Besides the cells, the blood, the, the fluid, there's all these chemical mediators which include pyrogens, histamine, serotonin, those substances that, that cause swelling and also cause these white blood cells, because they're connected here, these white blood cells you see here are attracted to this area because now having got an injury you've got a whole lot of bacteria there and something must control that bacteria, must kill the bacteria. And that's what the white blood cells do. And that's why we also call them phagocytes. White blood cells and macrophages. The Pac-Man, they are phagocytes. They eat away at damaged and dead and killed cells. So in other words, they like the Red Cross people uh, at, the, at, the war, uh, at the place of war, where there's a battle. 
the Red Cross goes and removes the dead and injured people away from a war zone. Okay? Any questions there? Rubo, Kalo, Turgo, Dog. There it is again. Rubo. Sorry. Exudation, no, that's exudation is um, sweating fluid. So, exudation is the movement of fluid out here that causes the sweating. Is it, is it similar to immigration? Immigration. Can it be the same thing? Emigration. Yeah, you can say emigration. They're leaving, you know, when you emigrate, you leave your country and go to another country. Yes, you can call it emigration. You can call it immigration. Immigration is coming in. Okay. I so emigration. Yeah. It's, it's coming into the dimension. Oh, no, no, but, it, but it's, it's going out. You always relate the way it was. So it was, yeah, so it's immigrated. Yeah. But then there's, there's an immigration area, then it's coming in. Well, okay, it's immigrating into the. All right, yeah, we. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with this. <laughs> and you'll hear Parik. You've seen pyrexic on your forms? Okay. Pyrexic, pyrogen, a patient who's pyrexic is hot. Got a fever because of the pyrogens. Okay, thank you. That's good. Any questions? So there it is rubo, calo, turbo, dolo, and loss of function. Rubo, calo, turbo, dolo. Now, I mentioned rubo. Why is it red? Dilated blood vessels. The blood vessels also dilate by this, swell up. Okay, like in a red eye, you call it conjunctivitis, or you get cellulitis. So it's even a sunburn because the blood vessels are dilated. Yeah, it's becoming, and also blood, blood cells that have escaped out of the cut into the swelling, so it's nice and red. Heat, callow. Increase in temperature, usually on the skin, and of course, it's an accompanying fever, as uh, Puddy mentioned, as I mentioned, uh, pyrexia, pyrogenes, callopyrogenes. Tergo suric, emigration of fluid, or what we call sometimes permeation of fluid out of dilated vessels into the area. Sometimes I call it, we call it exudation as well. Exudation. Usually, if it's swelling with, if it's permeation of fluid plus cells, we say exudation. It's swelling plus inflammatory cells. Dolo pain, and I mentioned uh, serotonin, prostaglandins, bradykinin, uh, those are things that are known to induce pain. So, but those are important to facilitate healing. It attracts the blood, uh, the white blood cells to, it attracts the soldiers, okay? It facilitates the inflammatory response, but it also causes pain, and as I said, pain is important. <coughs> you never thought that someone would say pain is important. Pain is good for you, isn't it? Loss of function, pain and swelling inhibits movement, okay? So, you stabilize them. Uh, what's, what's the best uh, household product to cut off the uh, blood from running out if you don't have a first aid kit? Pressure. Pressure. Hold it. No household product is going to help with pressure. 
I mean, you mean putting in something to plug the hole? No. Don't Whatever you do is household product is going to be highly contagious in terms of infection. So pressure, just pressure. That's what we say. Just take your take your handkerchief or, or take, rip off your shirt. It's, it's 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 probably the cleaner thing than you can pick up. At, you've got that you tie it as a ligature, tie it around, and stop bleeding. Same in the kitchen. Oh, put it under, uh, let's wash it in a, under running water. It's probably good enough. Yeah. But, but you need pressure. You need pressure. And pressure. you know they say sometimes when you know you've got some, you've got a sting and you can feel it. You know the swell grow. So to actually stop it or to try and you know slow the pace of this inflammation. You put in ice. You put, you know, they usually use yeah. ice. Yeah, that's uh, that's just, 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 the ice keeps the inflammation down because it takes away the heat and the and the and the redness to an extent. But ice is good for allergies. For allergies, okay, but also for certain sports injuries because, as I'm going to say, this inflammation. As good as it is, as important as it is, it's harmful. It can be harmful, and that's what I'm coming to next. So sometimes, depending on the condition, doctors will know when to limit inflammation. The harmful effects of inflammation is that there's certain enzymes that are released by the inflammatory cells, like white blood cells, which digest not only the bad tissues, the damaged tissues, but some of the normal tissues. Let's look at where swelling of inflamed tissues can be a problem. Now there's one thing, if you look, if a doctor looks down your throat, you know, you pull out your tongue, puts a tongue depressor and he's looking down his throat, he sees this right behind at the base of the tongue and then he looks down he sees what we call an epiglottis. He's looking this way, an epiglottis, okay? Epiglottis, and you can see the vocal cords. The vocal cords are like that, and of course, depending on uh, whether you're speaking, it'll be closed, uh, not speaking, it'll be closed, and if you're speaking, it's going like this, okay? It's, it's, it's bouncing. It's like, um, it's the cords of a violin, you know? Okay, that's, that's the vocal cords. And if you, this is, this is what it is, looking, here's the nose, Marty, looking over the tongue, you're looking over the tongue, behind this little tongue at the back, you know the soft pattern that's hanging, and you're looking down and it's looking inside. And if you see here, if you look at this, this epiglottis here, it's a little lid, it closes, it lid, lid it cl that closes right over blocking the air passage. So, obviously, if you are swallowing or eating or drinking something, that lid closes and food doesn't get into your air passage, otherwise you choke badly, it goes down into the stomach. And when you breathe in through your nostrils, the, the, the vent opens and you breathe air in through here. You might say, well, why, why were we made that way? Food crosses over, crosses over 
into the esophagus, whereas air needs to cross over the other way underneath the epiglottis into the larynx. Don't ask me, I didn't, I didn't design this too, but it's amazing, amazing, okay? Right. Now, if you look at this condition called epiglottitis, it's caused by a bacterium in childhood called Haemophilus, Haemophilus influenza. It causes this epiglottis here, that's one there, to swell up so much. Can you see how swollen it is? And this child is at risk of dying because the child cannot bleed. Okay? This is, used to be a condition of Haemophilus influenza. We don't get it so much, but we can these days because our children are well fed and they are well cared for. As soon as they get a bit of a scratchy throat, you run to the doctor and we treat the child. Okay? In those days when children were not treated until late, children died as a result of Haemophilus influenza epiglottitis, the epiglottis, the little, little lid, the little lid is swollen so much that it's completely blocking things. But of course that's one. What about in acute meningitis where the brain can swell and if the, or with a cerebral abscess, if the brain swells from meningitis, the raised intracranial pressure Increase the pressure itself will cause death. So swelling also from not meningitis but an injury in the brain can cause death. So doctors are particularly the neurosurgeons, for example, are cautious that they might they have to monitor these patients, otherwise they can die from raised intracranial pressure. Sorry, there's a question. Yeah, Lisa, you. Lisa had a question. No, the, okay. the RAP is there. Oh, okay, it's great. Raised intracranial pressure. Another inflammatory response that is harmful is what we call an inappropriately rapid response. Have you all heard of allergy to penicillin? Oh, have you ever heard of someone who died because they were bitten by a wasp? Or a bee. You have? Or a, a bee? Bee sting allergy, wasp sting allergy, scorpion sting. It gives you very much like asthma, not asthma, well, also asthma, very much like acute hay fever. You get exposed to dust and you immediately start sneezing, that's mild, okay? But some people, if they are stung by a wasp, or some people who are allergic to penicillin, get a penicillin injection, they can get an extremely rapid response of the inflammation, of the antibody response, remember? They are previously either vaccinated or previously exposed. When you so the person with a wasp allergy has for some reason been previously exposed to that wasp or to that antigen from the wasp in some way and they've got these antibodies waiting, okay? Protective antibodies waiting. And if they overreact, 
can cause an inappropriate response and in fact in, 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 in this amusing uh, wasp sting for example they can have so much of swelling of the air passages of the neck that they can stop breathing or being unable to breathe and you have to you have to do an emergency opening of the neck in order to facilitate breathing so this is harmful effects of acute inflammation and in this case harmful effects of swelling okay you've seen babies or people with um, a tracheostomy okay that's that was the emergency procedure yes, yes. otherwise they would have died yes yes many people would have an emergency medical practitioner or a paramedic is sometimes trained depending on his level to put in an emergency tube here because you can't get it through here because of swelling of the air passages. Clinical effects of inflammation can be seen in callow, hot, fever, pathogen release. Okay? Constitutional symptoms are you know, those things. When I'm unwell, I just feel ill. I've got no energy. I feel I want to sleep. It's, you know, I feel weak. I've got no energy. It's called malaise, malaise, okay? It's like this girl here. She's so sick, she, she can't get to lectures, but she's not, she's not what? Fabricating, okay? Some people fabricate and they don't come to lectures. <laughs> Anorexia, loss of appetite. Nausea, I feel like vomiting. I feel like bringing up. Those are constitutional symptoms. And they have, they have a biochemical basis because of all those things that your body is producing as part of the inflammation is making you feel ill. And maybe it's got good point. Because when you feel ill, all you want to do is crawl into your bed and sleep. And in fact, for healing, there's nothing better than sleep with a bit of nice food and rest, isn't it? Weight loss can be part of acute inflammation if you get a very bad illness. Enlarged glands. Now, for example, this girl has got an enlarged gland of the neck, probably because she's got a dental infection, maybe, because the gland is close to the teeth. Now, the lymph gland nodes in the neck will drain infection through the lymph ducts in the region of the head and neck. And you know, as a kid, when you've got an infection in your foot, you've got a lymph gland in your groin, okay? Or you've got infection in your hand, you've got a lymph gland in your axilla, because it's draining the infection. So enlarged lymph glands, because the lymph tissues in the lymph gland, the lymph, or lymph node, undergo hyperplasia, because they are reacting, isn't it? Hyperplasia, which means increase in number of cells. Okay. And of course, there's hematological changes. That's, that's changes that occur in the blood. Increased erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Don't worry too much about that. Increased number of white cells. Okay. This, this is related to the increase in. in in, in protein content, but this is an increase in the cells itself. And this picture shows you weight loss, 
you'll find that the same guy is in a fit and healthy state and you know, sudden weight loss. Uh, well, this is chronic weight loss. This is not this is not acute inflammation. You don't get weight, you don't get you don't lose weight like this when you just get a flu. This is this is serious. So lymph remember that enlarged lymph glands or lymph nodes and so on is an indication of what those lymph nodes are draining and specifically in uh, looking at cancers. Okay. So the lymph glands are very important. Finally, I think that's covered slightly. Are we going on to the next section? I just, I just finished. Uh, yeah, there's just three more slides to explain now. So we looked at chronic infl acute inflammation, short I think, but chronic inflammation is long passage of time. Usually low levels of inflammation, long, long passage of time, but can, can have zone problems as well. It can be chronic to start with because certain conditions, TB, chronic always, HIV, chronic always, so they're primarily chronic, they're long-term conditions, low level of inflammation but continuing for long, they don't, difficult to regress. The other possible chronic inflammation can occur after an acute inflammation which is not fully resolved, such as it is repeated. So you get an acute sinus accident, people with chronic sinus problems, it starts off because they get one attack of acute sinusitis that hasn't resolved. And then they get repeated attacks. The sinus starts to scar now. They repeat attacks and it becomes a chronic sinusitis because the acute sinusitis has not resolved. The other cause is it is, for example, if you get an acute infection, I showed you that twig that passing through the skin, you know, a twig or a thorn that passed through the skin, it's a foreign body. It produces acute inflammation, but if the foreign body is not cleaned out and removed, like you've got a thorn underneath your, your a piece of wood underneath your feet, if it's not resolved, it can remain there and become chronic because it's constantly there. It's a foreign, dirty, contaminated piece of wood and that will keep causing an inflammation and it becomes chronic. Okay? So, that I mentioned the primary chronic inflammation, chronic to start with, TB, also leprosy, HIV and AIDS is a good one, and certain autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune, where the body's <coughs> the immune response is acting against its own tissues. It's the body reacting against itself because it's too hypersensitive with its immune response. Okay? Hypersensitivity reaction. And then secondary chronic inflammation. Oh, there, there's, there's, I mean, I, I talked about a twig of wood, but sometimes you can get, whatever that's lost, a twig of a spicule of wood, or whatever's undigestible but also chronic, uh, also contaminated, like a suture material will be there. This, that's why sutures, sutures which, don't, which do not melt away need to be taken out. You can't leave it there because it's, it's going to be a foreign material. 
some bullet fragments, and sometimes surgical prostheses. But most surgical prostheses are made out of surgical stainless steel or titanium. 